Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. Happy 4th of July. What a beautiful day where we recognize our independence from tyranny, but not independence from God. Today, I'm going to go see the movie Sound of Freedom, the Jim Caviezel movie about um, human trafficking. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit like I'm anticipating it because it could be a big deal. All right. I'm up against the right. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. All right, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name, and we thank you and praise you for all of the ways that you love us and you take care of us, you bless us. Lord, I thank you for the gift of freedom. We don't always appreciate that gift, Lord. And and Lord, we just ask that you would... Um, Give us the grace today to ponder the reality of freedom, uh, to come to understand it more fully, and to seek to grow in freedom, to grow in the freedom that comes from following you. Lord, I pray that the gifts you've given to us may never obscure our radical dependency upon you, and that we would never misuse the gifts that you've given to us, that they would always be at your service, glorifying you. Lord, give us the grace to let that stewardship be marked by generosity and courage, a willingness, Lord, to, to pour out our lives on behalf of your call for our lives, that we would become holy and that we would fulfill our God-given mission. Lord, give us the grace never to settle for selfishness or self-centeredness. Give us the grace to Always strive to put you first. No, not, not to always put you first, not just to strive, Lord, <laughs> but to always put you first. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, thank you for the gift of, of living in this country, uh, the gift of being an American. I pray, Lord, for a recovery of authentic patriotism that does not uh, dislocate us in in terms of our solidarity with other human beings who share the same dignity as we do. But Lord, that we'd also have an authentic uh, appreciation for the gift of, of freedom and uh, the independence that, that we're given politically and, uh, and personally. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Years ago, I read a book, uh, and I actually read it um, uh, as I, I covered the book with the author. He was a representative who did a, uh, a hunger strike um, to, um, as a way of, of standing against um, what he saw as sort of a misuse of funds and, and a need to take care of the poor. 
And um, when he, I think it was called the face of poverty. And one of the things he talked about was the the poverty of political uh, political rights, the poverty of having a political voice. And um, it was very striking talking with him. Uh, that came to mind when I think about not only today, the 4th of July, but the fact that the Sound of Freedom movie with Jim Caviezel, where he plays this, uh, this federal uh, lawman who ends up learning more and more about uh, human trafficking and sex trafficking, and then becomes completely committed to attempting to undermine, overthrow, and abolish it. And Jim Caviezel getting involved in this movie has now that same kind of spirit as a result of playing this part and interacting with um, interacting with this man. And so um, we bought tickets. And so uh, the uh, 16-year-old and up are going to go see it. And um, we're not going to have our younger kids see it, 14 and down, uh, until we see it first. Uh, just because it, it seems like it's an incredibly disturbing but important movie. So... We'll talk about that in two days on Sound Insight. I'll give you my update on that. Today, I'm going to continue to dive into uh, a teaching, in this instance, a teaching on freedom in honor of Independence Day. So let's dive into that. What is the meaning of the 4th of July? Why then? Why is that the birth uh, the date of, of this great nation? What was it about this Declaration of Independence being signed to declare uh, a casting off the bonds of tyranny, a standing up to become the nation that we were intended to become, and on and on? You know, do we really appreciate all that has come to us that allows us to be who we are today? And the sad but a uh, simple answer is no, we don't. And uh, I think it's maybe more that the, isn't it our responsibility to hand this on to our kids, to give them a sense of recognizing the cost of freedom, the cost of being free. Well, today in Sound Insight, I'm not going to talk about how we can help to foster a sense of gratitude in our, our own lives and in the lives of those we love regarding, let's call it civil, uh, the the gratitude for civil freedom and societal freedom, those are worthy themes, but it's not what I'm going to talk about. Instead, I want to focus in on this concept of human freedom and ultimately the freedom that God intends for us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to dive in a little bit and talk about different levels of freedom, and I'm going to use some stories from the 4th of July to help exemplify that so it can relate to your life, and I bet some of these things are going to be part of your 4th of July as well. And I'm going to talk about six different experiences of freedom that are associated with a trial. I don't mean a court case. I mean a personal trial. Are you experiencing a personal difficulty, a, a place in your life, a situation in your life that is a test, a trial, a place of suffering? I'm going to dive into the way that Christ is present in at work bringing salvation, bringing freedom, healing, wholeness into your life, bringing a kind of freedom that is not merely of this world. It's a, it's a, it's a freedom that comes into the depths of our spirit. It's related to the depths of, of who we are as persons created in the image of God. And I'm going to lay out Six different ways that the Lord relates to us to bring freedom in the midst of trials. 
How's that sound? <laughs> you want to take out a pen and paper for this one, because uh, I think that it'll be, it'll be, it'll give you handholds no matter where you're at in your own particular time of trial. So I'm looking forward to diving into that. Okay, so I'm going to lay out three levels of freedom and talking about that in relationship to the 4th of July party. And I'm doing this to continue to wash over you and form in you the Catholic moral tradition's understanding of freedom. Whether it's your own personal freedom, whether it's freedom that exists in a relationship with a loved one, whether it is freedom that you want to form in your kids. Freedom operates, this works for businesses as well. If you want to form your, your, in your office, in your company, uh, development of, of human freedom. It operates at three levels. And those levels are space, choice, and commitment. Space, choice, and commitment. And I'm going to teach these things to you because you're not going to, unfortunately, very few of you have had a chance to receive a background in Catholic philosophy and theology. And I want to hand on to you, these are crucial foundation stones that I want you to help get into your mind as you begin to think about, how do I help my child grow up well? How do I help form in them an ever deeper experience of freedom? Because freedom isn't just doing what you want, right? So let's, let's, let's break open this experience of freedom at these three levels and the way that it showed up at a 4th of July party. So the first was this concept of freedom is space. Remember that? Remember these three words, space, choice, and commitment. Space. The kids needed to know, because Carrie and I showed up with our kids, 2 to 15 years old, they had space. They weren't trapped. Off you go. They also knew propriety, uh, what, uh, being proper, the first thing you do, you find the host of the party, you go introduce yourself, you look them in the eyes, you thank them for hosting the party, and then you can go off and you can go have fun in your way that you want. So let the kids have some space to have some fun. But there are boundaries. Yes, we want you to have space, want you to have a good time, but there are boundaries. There are certain walls that there is no climbing over. Like, for instance, there, they had a jet ski. Hey, they had two jet skis. Isn't that a blast? Absolutely. One problem. You don't get to go out unless you have a license. If you have a license that permits you to to ride around on a jet ski on that lake, then you're good to go. And if you don't, that's fine. You can still go out on the jet ski, but you have to have a licensed driver with you. And so... There's a great example, and this, is, this might sound very simplistic. It actually, there, there's a level of, of, of depth here that applies to living our own lives and living lives um, and parenting in particular, forming the sense of freedom in, uh, in those that we love or even those that we work with. That freedom doesn't mean not having boundaries. Freedom means respecting the boundaries, giving enough space so you have room to move, but there are also boundaries that you know you, you can't go beyond that. You, you have to operate within that boundary. So, for instance, our little daughter Liliana, she wanted to swim just as much as the rest of her siblings. One problem, she can't swim. So she can still go in the water, absolutely, but what does she need? She needs her little floaty, but not even just a little floaty. She needed a full, uh, a full life vest. 
because it was going to be more buoyant in the waters of the lake, which could become choppy, and she wouldn't be able to go in alone. Absolutely, she can access the water, but there are those boundaries. Okay, you start thinking about it, and you're saying, okay, I'm getting this. Space operating within boundaries is somehow about safety. It's about keeping that person safe, maybe even keeping others safe. So listening or or following or honoring those boundaries that are set up as being irremovable, no, you have to honor that boundary, or you're not you're gonna lose your space. You're not gonna have room to operate. That's that first level of freedom. And and that's how freedom and obedience live together in a fruitful relationship. Freedom doesn't mean not having to obey. And and the sadness is that as fallen human beings, we often think of the concept of obeying, obeying these rules, obeying this authority, as somehow or sometimes being connected with the restriction of freedom, the reduction of freedom, the diminishment of freedom, the absence of freedom, the experience of tyranny, oppressiveness on someone's life. And that can be the case as well. But what we want to do is help our loved ones and ourselves be able to sort through those times and seasons and ages and stages in life where what seems to be an oppressive attempt to remove one's experience of having any space to operate is, in fact, their greatest protection. A simple example is obeying the rules of the road. Ah, staying on the right side of the road is a good thing. It's not just a suggestion. It's a rule of the road. It's the best path for safety, not only for you, but for those around you. So obedience and driving the car and obeying the rules of the road has nothing to do with taking away freedom, but everything to do with keeping you safe, keeping you healthy, keeping you in good order, keeping you in alignment. That might sound obvious for us who drive, who have learned to what? Just inculcate into ourselves, just to take within ourselves, ah, yeah, follow the rules of the road. That's natural. There's not even a question. I'm not restricted in my freedom by honoring the rules of the road. No, I'm precisely free to drive well. Ah, I will drive well. I will drive at my very best when I'm honoring the rules of the road. Okay, are you ready? The church's teaching and matters of sexuality. Bam, there's a little bit of a switch. All of a sudden we stop and think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are lots of rules. There are lots of do's and don'ts. There are lots of boundaries about what is acceptable, permissible, moral, what is honoring to God. And, oh, my goodness, think back to your teen years. I can remember my teen years and my later teen years when I started to date a little bit. It was such a challenge. And then after I left the seminary and dated a bit more, the challenge was what? Remembering in my mind, keeping a clear head, having my reason be, be, be clear and my will to look to my reason rather than my passions, rather than those urges and desires that were moving strong, strongly in me. 
when it came to what was appropriate, what was going to be life-giving, what was going to be good, what was going to be free and freeing for me as a human being, as a man, in a relationship with a woman. And it's like, wow, that rule, that command, that moral law that says, no, this is impermissible, can seem like such a constraint. It can seem like obeying that is such a diminishment. That's how it can feel from the inside. And so the concept of freedom from or having space and learning how to obey, that's a basic level, and it has to, we have to go beyond that. We have to mature beyond that level of mere establishment of boundaries that say, no, it's not, uh, it's not permissible to uh, simply say, you, uh, you always have to wear that life vest. Now it's going to be better what? To do it. Teach him how to drive, get him a license to be able to drive the jet ski, teach him how to swim, right? Then all of a sudden, they're going to gain a whole other level of freedom. Ah, here we go. Let's dive back into <laughs> the water of the 4th of July celebration, Independence Day, that I was at. And let's go from space, that first level of freedom, to a higher level, which is choice. And then ultimately, we'll talk about commitment. And then I'm going to dive into those six different experiences of the presence of the Lord in times of trial and how he frees in the midst of trial. I'm going to make sure we are able to cover all six of those experiences because I know some of you are suffering. I know some of you are in difficulty. I know some of you, some of you are in the middle of a test right now. I want to make sure I cover those six experiences of the freeing presence of the Lord in the midst of trials. Before we do that, though, I want to take a break and then come back and talk about freedom as choice. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It is a joy to be with you today. And I hope and pray that you are staying cool if you can, unless it's actually really pleasant there. And uh, I'm so excited that uh, uh, it is a beautiful time of year. Enjoying this sunny weather is a, is a wonderful gift, a little bit of a surprise that it's so hot and sunny. But I hope that you are staying cool as you can. Freedom is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. And when you experience that sense of lightness in life, isn't, doesn't that mean everything? Doesn't it just mean the world? When we feel like we are, what, whole. When we feel like we are not clouded in our hearts, weighed down in our minds. When we don't feel like we're constrained and just oppressively burdened. Christ has come to set you free. Christ has come to set you free. And yet freedom itself is also a task. It's a responsibility. It's a gift and it's a task. It's a grace and it requires human effort. It's, a, it's something that the Lord wills to move into our lives and he asks that we would will to say yes to him as well. And so today in Sound Insight, I'm digging into some of the ways that the Lord asks us to do that in choice, freedom as choice, is one of the ways that will make abundantly clear 
the way that what the Lord wills for us, he asks for us to say yes along with him by choosing or willing to do what will be truly freeing. And if you heard what I just said, that is a bit of a corrective over what is so often promoted in our modern-day culture, in, our, uh, in, in the, uh, the, the most po- uh, prominent sort of popular media today, that freedom equals choice. Freedom equals choice. That if you have a choice, then you're free. If you don't have any choice, then you're not free. And that is very simplistic. And it doesn't take much human experience to be able to show how freedom is far more than simply the concept of choice. We just talked about having space, but when you have space, you have room to operate. We gave our kids space to go and play. We didn't say, you have to go play right now on the jet ski, and then later you go swim over there, and then you go on the paddle boat. No, we gave them space. You have room to operate within each of these things, and they've got choices. So we want them to have fun. We want them to be able to do their thing. But we also know that when they have that room to operate, they've got to make choices. Choice without a goal is like being in one of those paddle boats but not using the rudder. (laughs) You know, it's a good thing to be able to have a choice, but the question depends upon what you're choosing. You know, let's put a couple of our kids in the paddle boats, and they were in the paddle boats quite a bit. Kids climbing in, having fun, two, three, four of the kids together in the boat, and they were having a blast with the paddle boats. And that paddle boat had a rudder. Choice is like a rudder. You have the ability to enact yourself, to move yourself in a direction. The question is, where's that rudder going to point the boat? And my kids, some of the most fun they had was using that boat like it was a very slow amusement park version of a bumper car. (laughs) They would chase around the other paddle boat or the other two paddle boats, and they would go bumping into them. And they just had a blast having fun with those paddle boats. But sometimes we had to remind them, hey, kids, you do not use, you don't ram the paddle boat into the walkway. You don't, you got to be careful that you're not going to bump into kids, kids that are swimming in the water. Watch out for kids and have fun, but do not, they couldn't get much speed, (laughs) didn't paddle that fast, but be very careful about bumping those paddle boats into something that would uh, ruin them, that would uh, damage them. And so think of choice, freedom as choice, as like a rudder. Everything depends on what the choice is choosing. If your will has the capacity to enact itself in a direction, to determine its course, that's what choice is, the ability to say yes to something, then is freedom really about choice or is it about the choosing What is chosen? It's about what you're saying yes to. And so, for instance, at the 4th of July, wonderful Independence Day party that we went to, lots of guests, lots of people, lots of them brought food. Great thing. Glad they brought food. And so there were macaroni salad, and there was bring your own meat if you wanted to, barbecue available to you, but there was stuff to share, lots of vegetable trays. We brought some, uh, we brought uh, pineapple and uh, melon and uh, strawberries. Okay, so that's what we brought. A couple other people brought stuff like that. And then, oh yes, potato chips. And 
ruffles and different kinds of chips and chocolate chip cookies and brownies and off it went. Okay, so what do you think my kids, my kids' freedom as choice? Kids, go and act yourself. Be free. Choose. <laughs> and my kids who had the space to be away from mom and dad, guess what they chose? Yes, that's right. On their lunch tray, as I would walk up, there it is. Chocolate chip cookie, some chips, and some pop. There we go. Nice, nutritious lunch for my kids. Keep the, keep the sugars in the veins. Go. And I'm like, what are you doing? Where's the vegetables? Where are, you gonna, where are the strawberries? Look, have something good to eat. Did you, could you get some sparkling water? Did you have to have all that sugar? And it was amazing how my kids, once they were free from mom and dad, felt free to choose junk food. And choosing to eat, good thing. Choosing to eat only junk food, beyond what is, ah, moderation. Ah, yes. What you're eating, how much of it you're eating. I'm not saying, you know, you don't get to have a chocolate chip cookie, but if you're going to have 17 chocolate chip cookies after you have 37 gummy bears, probably not going to be the most healthy meal. And so this is where freedom in our tradition makes a distinction between license or just choosing, what, an end that is not worthy, choosing a goal that is not noble, not, not godly, not honoring of God, not honoring of myself, not honoring of someone I love. That's license. That's choosing without a good end. Or there is that which is self-determining. Literally, that as the, in the moral tradition of our faith, when we choose the good, when we choose to do something good, like even eating well, choosing good when it comes to eating appropriately is in fact going to humanize you. You'll become more fully human. You'll grow as a human being as you do that. And so when you do what is good or right in determining yourself, you're going to begin to experience a blossoming of your own humanity. You'll begin to see what is true and beautiful and good in this world, you begin to blossom with regards to what is right and wrong. You'll begin to get a sense of, ah, here's the word, the consequences that are associated with your choices. That choices, by their very nature, are going to have consequences. Rewards and punishments. Rewards and punishments. So funny, I was talking to my oldest daughter, and I said, now, Mary Grace, there's a, a consequence to that choice. Uh, this was, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And she said, Dad, why are you always talking about punishment? I said, Dad, I said, I'm not talking about punishment. I said, a consequence. <laughs> a consequence is an outcome, and that can be a reward or a punishment. There's a good or a bad. But it's amazing how when I think our kids today, may, I'm not just saying my, our, but our kids, kids today, when they hear consequence, they only think punishment. But they also should hear reward. The choices will be rewarded or punished. But it also has a very interesting like mirror to stop and reflect on kids. That kids, in, in some ways, one of the things that they are on the lookout for is some externalization of the moral law. Kids today, it's not just kids today, kids are looking for some externalization of the moral standard that they ought to follow. 
Did you hear that? We ultimately want our kids to follow conscience, to follow the voice of God within them. We want our kids to honor the law, the law of our land, the law of our household. But we as parents are going to be the externalization. We'll be the visible face of that law, of what is right and wrong for our kids' lives as they're growing up. And so there's a personalization of the law and a sense of legalization, (laughs) a legalizing authority that we take on as parents. And that's just something we ought to know, we ought to embrace, not be afraid of it. And to personalize that law means that the law becomes about love. Look, if I'm going to bring consequences, rewards and punishments to you as you make your choices, it's because I love you. It's because I want you to stay on the road. (laughs) I want you to use your space, the space I've been given you wisely. Make good choices. You make good choices and more options, a a bigger horizon, more opportunities are going to unfold in front of you. But use your choices badly and you're going to find a restriction. You're going to find the walls are narrowing in. You're going to find that there is a restriction of your horizon, (laughs) of what options are available to you. Now, we don't talk, as, (laughs) as parents, we don't talk like that to our kids, but I think I think that you see what I'm saying, that we have a responsibility as parents to begin to help form in our kids this sense that says, we are going to celebrate your growth as a human being by rewarding when you do well. But we are also going to be present to you as a moral standard with love that says, we know what it means to be a human being, to live well as a human being. When you make choices that are not honoring that standard, It's our job, our God-given stewardship, our responsibility to help you recognize that this restriction of freedom that we're bringing upon you, this diminishment of space in which you get to operate, is a sign in our home of what will happen to you in your life when you get beyond our home. If you ignore the the moral standard, if you ignore the rules which are an embodiment of that standard that we uphold and we oversee in love. So now it's our call as parents, what? To oversee it with love. <laughs> to make it clear, but then to oversee it with love, right? Love is patient, love is kind. And, and to be able to do that, wow, what a task. But this ultimately leads to that third form of freedom, which is freedom as commitment, right? So there's space, choice, and commitment. And so when my kids were choosing uh, to eat badly, they were eating very, making some poor choices, some of the kids, Right? They felt it. Uh, they felt it in their stomachs. They got to experience the punishments <laughs> in themselves of, of just eating the food that wasn't really that healthy for them. Okay, so let's move to the freedom as commitment. Now, commitment is when that sense of freedom goes to their deepest held ideals. What are the most deeply held ideals that you say, you know what, this is something that I live my life according to. Uh, this truth is more important to me than my own life. Did you hear that? Wow. What truth in my life is more important to me than my own life? What truth in my life is more important to me than my own life? I think of Christians around the world today, that sick, sad tragedy of Christians who are being slaughtered, not just persecuted, but beheaded, just slaughtered because of their profession in Christ, that rather than 
betray Christ, rather than say no to the truth of who Christ is in their lives, they will suffer death. Now, we in this country have no clue, no experience. It does not touch our lives, and that that's a sadness all by itself, even as we should celebrate the freedom that is ours. But that freedom to express our most deeply held ideals is something that we ought not to hide under a bushel basket. Right? One of the sort of founding visions of the, of the pilgrims that landed in, in, uh, in Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts. Right? What was the concept? You're to be a city set on a hill, a light for the world to see. And one of the beautiful things that happened at this 4th of July celebration is just as the fireworks were about to go off, they announced that there was going to be a prayer meeting, a praise and worship, a time of singing praise songs to God as the fireworks were about to begin. And they invited whoever wanted to to come inside, and those that didn't, they would be able to enjoy the, the praise music from outside. And that was really neat. That was very touching to me that this family was saying, you know what? The 4th of July, Independence Day, is about thanking God for the blessings he's given to us as a country, thanking God for the heroism of so many who have given their lives and have poured out their lives at the service of this country and continue to do so, but also asking God to bless the country and asking God and and then praising God and thanking God for who he is. And that's what they did. It was beautiful. And Carrie and I were there, and several of our kids just wandered in. We didn't force them. We didn't poke at them. We didn't say, go check it out. They just went in. It was a beautiful invitation, and it drew them in. I love that. And so that is where we want our kids ultimately, and where we ultimately want to go, is that our highest ideals, our deepest commitments, are things that we do, not because we're constrained, by the requirement to do so, not because we're rewarded by the external personalization of the law, but because internally it brings us the deepest sense of life. I'll be back in a minute. Well, welcome back to Sound Insight. And so freedom, space, choice, and commitment, these three levels, we're called upon to grow in them ourselves, and we're called upon to help shape and mold and deepen that experience of freedom at human levels uh, as as we um, as we live our life in in our marriages in our families in our workplaces and yes even in our societies, and so you might even stop and think and say, what part uh, where uh, what level is my company operating when it comes to the policy of uh, the resources that are are used by the office staff as a whole? Do we lock them up in a closet? Ah, there's. Um, there's a, a way that there's not a lot of space when it comes to the use of resources. Or do we just leave it an open policy where people are going to uh, just sign them off themselves and we're going to trust that none of, them, none of them is a thief? And do we reward uh, the office if, they, you know, uh, if, if, if there's a correct accounting of resources or punish them if there's not, et cetera, et cetera? You get the idea. All of a sudden, you can layer that those three levels of freedom on top of Um, a particular ethical decision, a particular moral standard that you want to have upheld in your family? Do you give give your kids space with regards to um, whether or not they're going to have a a, a phone or how they're going to use a phone, right? Let's let's say, do you let them have an Instagram account, right? Well, first, if space says, no, you're not, or you're only going to have, you're going to share my account. 
Well, then choice is going to be, well, and you give them their own account, you're going to reward or punish them based on what they're posting and who they're following and how they're acting on there. Ultimately, commitment is you form in them the ideals that help them become the person that you intend them to be so that they can be entrusted with an Instagram account and they can live with it fruitfully and not hurt their own humanity. Make sense? There you go. Okay, let's take the next step. I want to talk about freedom in a whole other way. I want to talk about freedom that comes from Jesus Christ and is associated with the trials and difficulties, the testings that come our way, these things that press in on us, that make life um, involve suffering, involve uh, an experience of being in the desert. I'm, I'm uh, I'm not in the promised land. It's hard. And so I want to lay out six different experiences of how Jesus Christ, our Savior, brings freedom. And that freedom can be a sense of healing, that sense of wholeness. That's, that's, these are ways that salvation shows up in our lives. And I'm going to lay out six different ways that the Lord does that. Okay, the first. So the first is with regards to certain trials, is the truth. And this, I'm going to use these as Jesus statements to us. This first statement is, I will, and there are six I will statements. The first one is, I will preserve you from trials. I'll preserve you from trials. And, you know, that that sounds all well and good, Tom, but you said you were going to talk to me as someone who is undergoing a trial. And that's not really helping me right now because I'm in the midst of a trial. I'm in the midst of a difficulty. And I'm going to say, I, you are. But I want you to stop and imagine that it may, in fact, have been God's tremendous grace of preservation that has held off this trial as long as it's been, as long as, as it had. That, that there are so many of us that, that are unaware of all of the trials or the intensity of trial that is part of our life that could have been there far earlier or could have been far worse than it actually is right now. So that the Lord's preserving grace is one of those ways that he sets us free. He frees us from the experience of even ever having the trial at all. That preservation, that the grace of being preserved. I will preserve you from trials. So in particular, I'm speaking to those who have not, who are right now not in the midst of a trial. Thank God for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for preserving me from trials. And if you're in the midst of a trial, if you can, step back reflectively and just say, you know, I'm not sure I've really been as appreciative of the ways in which the Lord has preserved me from trials. Now that I'm in the middle of it, this is what's swallowing me up, or this is what's taking up my attention and focus. You know what? This could have started way sooner. This could have been way worse than it currently is. His preserving hand is not absent in my regard. So that's something I know that I think of. I think of when I get a call from Carrie. I got a call from Carrie a couple of weeks ago saying, come home. I think you have to take John Mark to the emergency room. And I ended up having to do that. And on my way home, I just said, oh God, God, I thought, you know, I have, just so many different little tests and trials I'm undergoing right now. Really? This one too? And I was amazed that um, after everything happened, and you know, he did have quite a bump on his eye. I talked about that on Sound Insight. It was just like, wow, God, it could have been so much worse. 
It could I, you know, I can complain about what happened and say why, or I can thank God and say, God, this could have been far worse than it was. You know, it was a matter of an inch, and it would have been far more damaging to my son. And and it was just amazing. It's just like, okay, I can look at the, the trial or the test that I was in the midst of and say, why? Or I could step back and say, God, thank you. Thank you. This could have been far worse. So that's the first, that first experience of, of the way that Christ intends to bring his saving power as Savior, that he wants to meet us in the midst of times of trial and the midst of tests and difficulties. I will preserve you from the trial. The second is that I will rescue you out of every trial. I will rescue you out of every trial. And that is so important for us to know. That is associated with the virtue of hope. The virtue of hope. When I pray rosary with uh, our kids at home or when we take a ride, um, I, I almost always, sometimes I, I forget, uh, we're going quickly, uh, at the, the, the three first Hail Marys where you pray for an increase of faith and hope and love, I try to just give this, you know, 20-second little catechesis by unfolding what hope means. We pray for deeper hope. Lord, we pray for uh, a, a deeper sense of confidence in you and in the promises that you've made to us. Fulfill your promises in our regard. We pray for hope. Lord, grant us greater confidence in you and in the promises you've made to us. Fulfill your promises in our regard. That's what hope is. Confidence in Jesus and in the promises he's made. And so when we say that, Lord, you will rescue me out of every trial, I will rescue you out of every trial. The Lord says that. He wants to meet us. He wants to say, I'm going to rescue you out of this. Out of every trial, I'm going to rescue you. It's, a, it's an unfolding of that promise. It's an unfolding of that promise that says, I will be with you. I am with you, and I will be with you all the days of my life. And that is, I mean, how consoling is that, right? That, that I will be with you, and, and he's going to rescue me. He's going to bring his rescuing power. I, I think of the, in Exodus chapter 3, right, that, the great story of, of Moses in the, in the burning bush where uh, Moses draws near, and uh, the Lord says, I have heard, tell them, I've heard their cry of complaints, I've seen their sufferings, and, and I'm coming to rescue them. And so I want you to cling to those promises. Cling to those promises of Jesus, those promises of God. This is, I, I will rescue you. And, and it might not be visible how it's going to happen, the, the time frame under which it's going to happen, but you can know it will happen. He will rescue you out of every trial. So cling to that. No, don't cling to that promise. Cling to the promiser. Cling to him. The one who says, I'm going to rescue you out of every trial. It's hard to hold on to that when trials have, um, have gone on over periods of time. You don't see forward progress. You don't see things happening. I can see uh, Carrie, Carrie and I were reflecting in the past few months about an area in our married life 
that we, uh, it, it really emerged even in the first year you know, of our married life, we became aware of a certain dynamic that could be present in our marriage. And it was something that we were saying, Lord, please help us. Lord, just help us to grow through this. Help us to improve. Help us to get to a better place in how we relate to each other in this part of our life. And really, it was 20 years later that it bubbled back up and we realized that the Lord had actually begun to rescue us from that. I'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight, and it is a delight to be with you. I'm talking about the way that the Lord meets us in the midst of trials, and He wants to set us free. He He promises to to grant us uh, the graces we need. The first is that He preserves us from trials. I will preserve you from trials. The second is I will rescue you out of every trial. And sometimes those trials will go on for an extended period. I'm talking about two decades of Carrie and me walking together in marriage. Now, it wasn't a, a, a big trial. It wasn't a thorn in the flesh like St. Paul, like we heard about on Sunday's Mass. But it was, uh, it was something that it was like, you know, Lord, are you ever going to deal with this? Lord, are you ever going to convert my wife? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> are you ever going to deal with this in our, in our married life? And it was amazing. It kind of caught us off guard, the, the circumstances the Lord used to begin to rescue us out of that particular trial. The third, the third is not only will I preserve you from trials, or if you experience a trial, will I rescue you out of every trial? He also will, I will purify you through the trial. So sometimes it's not about being rescued by being pulled out of it, but sometimes it's about going through the trial precisely because the Lord wills to purify you. There is, you know, what gold is what? It's, 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 it's purified of dross in the fire. It's staying in the fire. That's where, that's where the, the gold is going to shine most brilliantly. You know, speaking of St. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, the famous thorn in the, the, the flesh, the angel of Satan, like a messenger of Satan that is keeping him weak, not just weak, but weak to the point of powerlessness. And, and what does the Lord say after he begged the Lord three times that this, he should be rescued from this? It should be, he should be freed from this. And what does the Lord say? He said, you know, in, my pow- in your powerlessness, my power reaches perfection. In your weakness is your strength. And what does he say? For this reason, I will what? I will glorify the Lord, for my weakness, right? He doesn't say, well, take it all away. I want to be strong. Not at all. He says that he wants to be kept in the, in the state of weakness. In fact, St. Paul says he's going to boast of his weaknesses, right? And that is not, wow. I wanted to hear about what's the secret path out of trials and difficulties. Well, you know what? Maybe what the Lord is saying is, look, I'm going to purify you through these trials, I'm going to purify you so that my power can be even more brilliantly on display through you. You know, it's like, well, I want that, Lord. I, I, that's, that's what I want from my life. But boy, does that mean really that I have to undergo this thorn in the flesh, this thorn in my side? Really? That is not an easy thing. But this shows how big the Lord is. Right? He preserves, he rescues, he purifies. But this leads to a fourth point, a very important one. 
He says, I will be with you in your time of trial. I will be with you in your time of trial. If you're there with your thorn in the flesh, don't think that Jesus is apart from you. He is with you. He has already undergone that thorn in the flesh in your life. If there's a, a cause of suffering, if there's some situation of suffering that is part of your life, don't think that the Lord is watching you from the sidelines, that he has his back turned, that he's caught off guard. None of these things is true. He is with you right in the midst of that suffering. And he will be with you in your time of trial. And sometimes, in fact, and for the saints, this was that greatest sense of joy came from the experience of the Lord's presence, even in the midst of the suffering, the sickness, the disease, the persecution, uh, the physical challenges, the, the being stretched beyond measure. That sense that the Lord is with me, the Lord is with me, the Lord is with me, was that greatest source of joy that would be part of their lives. So the Lord will preserve us from trials. He'll rescue us out of every trial. He'll purify us through trials. He'll be with us in our times of trial. But then fifth, he says, I will meet you in the trial as the trial itself. Did you hear that? There are times in which the Lord is going to say to you, look, I'm not just going to meet you as someone who's undergone your thorn in the flesh, but I'm actually going to meet you in the thorn. <laughs> I'm going to meet you as the thorn, that the Lord is Lord of all. He is so Lord over all that he can actually meet you in that very storm that, that gets that the, storm, the, the storm in the sea <laughs> that is uh, around you and threatening you. Sometimes the Lord will be right with you in the boat and he'll stand up and he will silence the storm. Sometimes he's like, you know what? I'm the Lord of the storm. I am not far and distant from this storm. I want you to look very carefully into this storm. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to be met as the Lord in the storm. Not the Lord who's with you in the middle of the storm, but the Lord who's in the storm that is with you. Did you get that? It's a subtle but very important distinction that he will meet you in the trial, maybe even as the trial itself. So keep your eyes open, keep your ears attuned to the way in which the Lord wants to meet you. And then lastly, remember now, salvation, the Savior Jesus is all about freedom. And the freedom that he is all about ultimately is the ultimate freedom. And that's the last of these six, that I will bring you home through your trial. Meaning, you will, you'll exit this earth. You will meet him face to face. That sometimes it's the trial itself that the Lord says, this is your door. This is your exit. This is my exit plan for you. This is how you're going to come home to me. And when I bring you home through the trial, you'll be freed from any trial ever again. I will free you forever to be with me, free from trials, free from suffering, forever and ever. Amen. And ultimately, you know, that's the, the freedom that the Lord has for us is not a freedom that's going to find its ultimate meaning here on earth. And so all of us need an exit door. All of us, the Lord, is designing a path home to him. 
And the mystery of what that path is for one person versus another, when does it happen? How old are you? What circumstances? Is it quick and painless? Is it prepared for but involves many years of diminishment and and suffering? The mystery of God's providential shepherding care for one and another is absolutely personal and precious. And the great challenge in all of this is to trust that he who is Lord will be Lord over this process. And then we continue to put ourselves into his hands. That Lord, I, I who was not preserved from this trial, I who did not experience a rescue out of the trial, Lord, I who am being purified in this trial, Lord, I who am recognizing that you are with me in it, and even, Lord, meeting you as the trial itself, I ask you, Lord, if it be your will, bring me home through the trial. Because I want to be with you and being with you forever. That is my goal. That is my good. That is my life. That's ultimately what the Lord wants from us, right? Is a loving desire not simply to be rescued from a trial, but to be safe in his hands forever, to be worshiping him in love forever. What happened at that 4th of July celebration at the end of the evening was not watching fireworks. It was lifting hands in praise to God, thanking, lifting voices in praise to God. It was, what, the ultimate expression of our freedom, the freedom to worship, the freedom to worship our good and loving God, the creator of this world, the, the one who shepherds this world along the path. He is the author of this story, which is the world. It is his story, and it's his story of calling us to recognize him as our Father through Jesus. And so the, the goods of this earth, the goods of our, of our nation, we thank God for them. We ought to thank God more fully for them. But we ought to see them as well, as his, what, giving us space. He's giving us some space as our Father to make some choices. And hopefully as a nation and as individuals, we make good choices that express our commitment to him. For when we express through our choices, through our laws and policies, through the way that we shape and live our life as a nation, we are establishing that we are committed to God first, that as faithful citizens, we are children of this nation, but children of God first. This nation, as good as it is, is a nation that will pass away. God is the source of all life, and it's that God that we serve. You know, the the longer we live, the easier it is to embrace that type of attitude. (laughs) I hope and pray that I can live that way and ever more fully display that way of living in everything that I say and do, for that will mean that I'm free. Hey, I hope and pray you've enjoyed this program. I pray God's blessings on you as you pray, please, for me as well. Please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. Take care.